It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night, to the music of the lute and the harp. For you, O Lord, have made us glad by your work. At the works of your hands, we sing for joy. Let us worship the triune God, our creator, redeemer, and sustainer.
Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless God's name. Tell of God's salvation from day to day. Declare God's glory among the nations, God's marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. God is to be revered above all gods. For all the gods, the people are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Loving and all-merciful God, we raise our praises to you today in body, mind, and spirit. As we stand to raise our voices in song and sit to bow our heads in prayer and listen with hearts open for your will and intention in our lives, we embrace the fullness of your being, the mystery of your limitless presence. To you whom we know as the creator of our being, the embodiment of unbounded love, the inspiration of our work for justice in this world. God within us, God beside us, God beyond us, God in three persons, blessed Trinity. Grace and peace to you, and welcome to the First Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, both those of us gathered here in our pews, as well as everyone worshiping in other locations. We are glad and grateful to gather in the name of our Lord. And because it is in Christ's name that we have gathered, that means our word of welcome is one that we extend with no qualifying adjectives whatsoever. It is in Christ's name that we greet one another, therefore we greet all in Christ's name. We do ask everyone, members and guests alike, if you would be so kind as to sign the friendship pad. If you would then, and send it down the pew and back again, we'll have the advantage of each other's names at the conclusion of this service. And likewise, I'd like to invite everyone to a special time of fellowship in Old Buttonwood Hall. This time of fellowship today is part of our 325th anniversary celebrations. You will find that a lovely, lovely reception has been put together by Fran Kramer and her team from the uh, 325th Anniversary Commemoration Committee. And most importantly, when that is done, when we've all had a chance to enjoy some tea sandwiches and tea cakes and other goodies that they have prepared, we can return here to the sanctuary for a primer on the organ and a few other comments that Andrew Sin will offer about the history of music here at First Church. It should be a wonderful and educational opportunity. I look forward to seeing you both in Old Buttonwood Hall and back here again after that. I'd like to highlight a few other things for your particular attention. The first is, in this season of graduations, we often have to say uh, Godspeed, maybe not goodbye, but Godspeed to those who are, are leaving our midst. So Maya, today is your last Sunday, and the middle hymn is, as, is becoming our tradition, Maya's choice for today. So we will miss you, and we hope you will be in touch. <laughs> I'd like to also share news of great joy that Miles Benedict Yep Sindel was welcomed to the world by Becky Yep and Luke Sindel, and we certainly surround that family with our prayers during this special time in their lives. Finally, if you've ever wondered how we change the light bulbs uh, in this sanctuary, you can see how we reach the light bulbs. Uh, they deploy downward, and sometimes they don't go back up again, so the, uh, the appropriate repair people have been called, so hopefully you will see that back up in its appropriate location next week. 
with all these things noted, let us worship the Lord our God with our confession of sin. We come into this space of confession to remember the ways in which we have forgotten day after day, from one week till the next time we're together again, to live our lives as Christ has taught us. Our confessions open our awareness to that place of vulnerability, where we see we've fallen short of being in right relationship with our Creator. So let us join our voices in our common prayer of confession. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. O blessed Trinity, in whom we know the maker of all things visible and invisible. We are made in your image. Among all creation, you have chosen us to be crowned with glory and honor. We do not always live as though this were so. We forget that you have been made us to be bearers of hope in a broken world. We neglect the call to show your love in all we do. We fail to see the humanity of others and to know that they also reflect your divine purposes. Forgive us, we pray, and remind us once more what it is to be your people to show your love, and to bear your good news to all the world through Christ our Lord. Let us continue our personal confessions in silence. awareness heightened and our vision renewed, we are assured of God's unbounded compassion, ever-present guidance, unlimited grace and mercy. So friends, believe the promise of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are.
Now may our hearts and minds be opened by the power of the Holy Spirit to listen for the word of God, as it is written today in our epistle lesson from 2 Corinthians, the 13th chapter, a short and familiar benediction, reading from verse 11. Finally, brothers and sisters, farewell. Be restored, listen to my appeal, agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with all of you. And in our gospel reading from Matthew, we hear of the commissioning of the disciples. Matthew chapter 28, reading from verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but they doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Here ends the second lesson. Our Psalter lesson today is Psalm 8. Listen for the word of God. O Lord, our sovereign, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens, out of the mouths of babes and infants. You have founded a bulwark because of your foes, to silence the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have established, what are human beings that you are mindful of them? mortals, that you care for them. Yet you have made them a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. You have given them dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under their feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field and the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Sovereign, how majestic is your name in all the earth. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
almighty, eternal God, grant now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts may be acceptable, even pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Years ago, I sat with a colleague of mine and asked her how her congregation, which had been all but given up for dead, had come back to be a flourishing church. I expected she would regale me with a series of tactical choices, but instead, she looked me dead in the eye and said, what made the difference was hope. Once we figured out that God still had a job for us, we found ourselves filled with hope for the future. The rest was just doing the work. I imagine the disciples in those days and weeks after the resurrection were filled with hope, but likewise filled with fear and concern. And so here at the end of Matthew's Gospel, there is a word of hope, a word of hope that is wrapped up in a call that extends to every person who bears the name of Christ. Go and make disciples of all nations. Christ gives us a job to go and make disciples of all nations, to bear the good news of hope into the world. This concluding portion of Matthew is full of important things for us as Christians. In the Reformed tradition, for instance, we recognize only two sacraments, the two specifically commanded by Jesus, baptism and the Lord's Supper, and this text contains the mandate for baptism. This text from Matthew is also where we receive the Trinitarian formula of Father, Son, and Holy Ghost in which we baptize. There, if there is a task, however, that causes angst among many modern mainline Christians, however, it is this very notion of going and making disciples of all nations. We live in a multicultural world. We respect people of other faiths. Indeed, we find value in the ways that other faiths can help us understand our own. Therefore, I suspect lurking in the backs of our minds this morning are two questions. First, who exactly are all these nations we are supposed to go and make disciples out of? And secondly, what does it mean, really mean, that Jesus is with us always? So let's start with the first. Who are these nations from whom we are supposed to go and make disciples? 
Some of the less palatable interpretations make it sound like we're supposed to identify countries to conquer with our evangelism, which is enough to make many Christians shy away from this text. Frankly, if, as I were leaving my house in the morning to walk out to my car to drive into the, to the city to my office, if I were to say to my neighbors, well, I'm off to make disciples of all nations with a jaunty air, they'd probably run back into their houses and peek out through the curtains to make sure I was well and surely gone before they returned to the yards, lest I evangelize them. But the translation in this instance doesn't quite capture the full meaning of the text. The word we translate from Greek into English as nation is ethnoi, and it is much, much more than a political identity of nations as we think of them. Uh, ethnoi is related to ethnicity, of course that's the root for ethnicity, but even that doesn't quite capture it. Ethnoi is more holistic. It's all the people, in the sense of all the people, but also in the sense of an identity, a people. So in this great charge at the end of Matthew, Jesus says, go and make disciples of all the ethnoi, and what he means by that is this message is for everyone. We considered last week how deep and wide Luke wanted the scope of the gospel to run. This week, we hear from Matthew the same thing. There is no one, no ethnoi, to whom the promise of the gospel is not open. Think about that. That is a powerful message of hope. We are frequently a tribal people. It's easy to divvy up into the camps that we find most comfortable, but Jesus here says instead, nope, go and say to all the ethnoi that this is for them, for all of them, and therefore it's for all of you, no matter who you are, no matter where you come from, no matter if you've ever felt shut out, this message, this promise, this hope is for you. And what is this promise? What is this message? What is this hope? Well, it's the fullness of the gospel, to be sure. But in this particular moment, it is specifically the promise. Remember, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. To everyone, everywhere, Jesus sends his followers to say on his behalf, I am with you always. The idea that Jesus is with us all, wants us all, values us all, sounds a lot more like good news to me than the misguided notion that our task is to beat the member of some other nation over the head with the Bible and drag them by the feet to the baptismal font. I'm being flippant, of course, with that image, but I wonder if sometimes if that isn't exactly sort of the image that we are fighting. That to go and make disciples means that we have to first 
convince people that there is something very wrong with them in order that we can subsequently convince them that Jesus can turn them into good people. And I am just not sure how hopeful I would consider such a message. But instead, to share a message that God loves them, that even if they don't think they matter much in the grand scheme of things, that they matter vitally to God, that is hopeful. And what's more, this unfolds in the larger picture of the Bible, wherein God is absolutely smitten with creation. God's overflowing love made the universe, and then God looked at it and fell in love with us and all that God had made out of the overflowing of God's love. That's hope that we can share. Consider the message of the psalmist, one of my favorites, as it were. What are human beings that you are mindful of them? Mortals that you care for them, yet you have made them a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. Where else do we hear a message like that? Where else do we hear that we are created so that we may be honored? The psalmist sings a sweeping vision of what God has wrought, and in the middle of it puts this ode to humanity. The psalmist calls out the heavens, the moon, and the stars, and when humankind is compared to the majesty of everything else God has made, all of creation, we are elevated to a place crowned with glory and honor. I call that a message of hope. I call that good news. And the end of Matthew's gospel contains within it an invitation to go and share the hope of the world to a world that needs it. It may seem simplistic to put it so bluntly, so tangibly, but I am convinced that when we celebrate what God has been doing in Philadelphia through these Presbyterians since 1698, our finest moments are the ones when what we have shared elevates the discourse of our common life together. When we have been the truest to what God called us into being to do, really starting in 1692 when Francis McKeamy started organizing all the Protestants in town, it has been when the gospel has been proclaimed to a world in need of a word from beyond ourselves that God is here, that God is real, that God is love, and that God has made us in God's image. It is Trinity Sunday today, that day in which we consider the mystery that God is one and yet three, wherein we attempt to make some sense of the notion of a triune God who is yet one God, classically understood as Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And while the Catholics in the sheepfold have a 
long and rich tradition of celebrating Trinity Sunday, going back to the 14th century, we Protestant members of the sheepfold are a little late to the game. Perhaps that is because we are reticent to wrestle with mystery. But perhaps it is because we are afraid of getting it wrong. At least one theologian has declared that all heresies are Trinitarian in nature. I am not quite sure that that is exactly true, but I do know that a great many theological errors come from misunderstanding what it means for God to be God in this particular way. Indeed, even the history of our liturgy as a denomination reflects such a reluctance to wade into such mystery. Here is a prayer from the 1946 edition of the Book of Common Worship. Blink and you'll miss it. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. O blessed Trinity, in whom we know the maker of all things visible and invisible, the Savior of all men near and far, by thy Spirit enable us, we pray thee, so to worship thy divine majesty that with all the company of heaven we may magnify thy glorious name, singing, Holy, Holy, Holy. Glory be to thee, O Lord Most High. Amen. Lots of holies, but without much specificity, wouldn't you say? But if we are made in the image of God, crowned, as the psalmist says, with glory and honor, where do we find ourselves in such a prayer? We find ourselves in such a prayer, in such a doctrine, in the knowledge that God has made us in God's image. And if that is true, as the Bible teaches us that it is, then we are made for love, because the triune God is bound together with bonds of love. And we are made for community, because God chooses to self-define in loving community. And we are made to relate to one another as God has related to us, because that is how God chooses to be. And God has made us in God's image. And perhaps that is what it means to be crowned with glory and honor. And when the word we have received from God to share, as this congregation, but also individually as members of it, is a word of love, of fellowship, of basic honor of all human beings, it is a word of hope. When our first concern is with giving hope, spreading the gospel message that everyone has value and merit in God's sight, and therefore every one of us has value and merit in the church's sight, that is a vision of redemption. And you never know when God's call to you is going to be to extend a word of hope on Christ's behalf so that God's redemptive presence may be made known. There's an old story, perhaps you've heard it, some of you probably have, of a visiting school teacher who worked in a hospital who was asked by the classroom teacher of a little boy to go and visit him in the hospital and help him with his homework. 
The classroom teacher said to the visiting teacher, we are studying nouns and adverbs in this young man's class and I hope you will help him. When the visiting teacher arrived at the hospital, she was dismayed to learn that the child was in the hospital's burn unit in very serious condition and experiencing great pain. She was embarrassed when she walked into the room and saw him in a state of misery, but she decided to press on and stumbled through the lesson ashamed of herself for putting him through such a senseless exercise. The next morning, the nurse on the burn unit said to the teacher, what did you do to that boy yesterday? And before the teacher could get out her apology, the nurse said, we had given up on him, but ever since you visited him, he seems to be fighting back, responding to treatment. And the boy himself later said that he had given up hope, but that it had all changed when he had come to the simple realization that they wouldn't send a teacher to work on nouns and adverbs with a dying boy, would they? The power of hope. Jesus says to us, I will be with you always. And God calls us to be with one another as Christ is with us. We do not have to make anyone believe anything. Belief comes from God, if at all. We do not have to create the promise. It is already there. God has already made the promise. We do not have to define honor for others. God in Christ and the unity of the Holy Spirit has already done that. We do not have to do any of that. Rather, our job is to embody, to incarnate the message as Christ did for us, a message of the hope of the gospel. We are hope bearers. God has already given us this message of hope. The rest is just doing the work. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.
friends, we stand here in this place where many have stood before us. And we confess our faith with the same statement used when this church was founded, when the church was founded. The Apostles' Creed is what taught those who joined this traditions in the earliest centuries of the church at their baptismal confession. When we cannot say with any certainty what we believe, we can stand in witness to what the church believed and has believed through the centuries. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. We offer our lives in service with our time, our talent, the fruit of our labors, and the fulfillment of our pledges. May it be with joyful and generous hearts that we come forward to share our offerings in the plates or in the narthex or online, remembering the part we play in the ongoing context of this community.
loving God, we bring these offerings in gratitude, rejoicing in the abundance of your gifts to us. May they be used for the furthering of your work in the world around us. In Christ's name, amen. Let us continue in prayer as we hold in this space what sits upon our hearts. Loving and all-merciful God, you are the mystery that lies beyond our comprehension and the very inner workings of our being, closer than our own heartbeat. You are the animating force and inspiration of everything that enables us to live and move and have our being. We long for ways to name you as we bow our heads in prayer, to see you as we look for you in the face of our neighbor, and to feel you as we are embraced by a love divine that excels all love. May our own capacity to love expand as in these moments we fill our hearts with a swelling gratitude for your nearness in these quiet moments and your ongoing presence as we move into the busyness of our daily lives. Loving God, we pray today for wisdom, your clear and strong and guided wisdom. For those who are seeking direction, as they make transitions to new walks of life. For those who hold positions of leadership in our church, our city, our nation. For those whose decisions have far-reaching effects beyond what they can see. And those whose choices protect themselves alone and bring harm in countless ways unknown harm to our environment, to those living in poverty, to those who do not have a voice. May we know your wisdom in these spaces where we allow ourselves to turn to you, to leave space for you to speak into our lives. We pray today for security for those who live their lives in fear, who do not know where to rest their heads at night or how to turn away from the very things that harm them, for those who are grieving losses so deep that they cannot catch their breath, whose hearts are breaking and whose days feel empty and alone, for those whose questions and doubts make them feel weak May we know the assurance of your embrace, holding together the pieces of our lives so we cannot, the security of your love enfolding arms. And we pray today for hope, that thing with wings that lifts us from our darkness into your unebbing light. We pray for hope for those who have new roads to walk, for new lives that have come into this world, learning to walk and talk and to trust that when they fall, there will be a way to get back up. 
We pray for hope that this earth in all its glory will continue to nourish our bodies and souls and that our eyes will be open to the way we live in relationship with the land and sea and sky and all its beings. May those who hope in the Lord renew their strength and soar on wings like eagles. Hear our prayers today, and may they guide us to an ever closer vision of your peace, made known to us in the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.
the thought recently occurred to me, and this is a true confession, that I have been beating the drum of inclusivity and grace rather a lot lately. And so I thought to myself, you really need to preach on sin soon just to let round this out a little bit. And I do suppose my uh, inner Christian humanist is elbowing out my inner Calvinist pretty, pretty hard these days. But then it occurred to me after the fact, you can preach on sin all you want, but the gospel is still going to be good news. And that's it right there. The gospel will still be good news. So go, share, live in hope. And the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance and you, on you and those you love and give you peace both this day and forevermore. Amen. Oh.